Shalom Gia, good morning. Thank you all for joining us here today. Uh, we're here today to talk about the threats that technology poses to privacy. Between social media, surveillance, and now the rise of, rise of AI, it seems hard to believe that technology can actually improve privacy, but our guest here today thinks that it can. I think nobody understands the importance of privacy more than Chelsea Manning, so I'm excited to hear more about your perspective and your work at NIM. Sure. Uh, and I want to start today talking about the buzzy elephant in the room, which is AI, either yeah. a dystopian hellscape or a very well done marketing stunt, depending on who you talk to. So Chelsea, which is it? And do you think that AI actually does pose new threats to privacy? Yeah, why can't it be both? Uh, I, think that, uh, I think that artificial intelligence is, uh, I, I, you know, because I come from, a lot of people don't know this, but my, my, my background is actually from data science and artificial intelligence originally. Uh, I did this uh, for the Department of Defense for a number of years. I worked uh, in the private sector. And uh, before I started doing privacy projects more recently, uh, I've been doing data science, uh, like, uh, and uh, AI projects like on the side as the side gig for the last few years. And I think that, uh, I think that there are, I, you know, I think that the hype is new, but the technology, the, the, the invasiveness of the technology, but also the, the potentials of, the, of this kind of technology um, are, are not new. I think, that, uh, I think that, you know, certainly a lot of the privacy problems that we're gonna be seeing, uh, that we have seen for the last 15 years, uh, with with large al with with um, algorithms like you know being used for search engines and things, um, you know we're going to continue to see these problems. Um, but I also think that uh, with the advent of large language models and large visual models, um, you know I think there's a large I think there's a there's an immense amount of opportunity that comes with this kind of technology. And I think that uh, I think that it's a matter of how we as technologists utilize this technology, how we we, while we're developing these technologies, like how we train the data, like what, what training data we use, um, the limitations and understanding the limitations of what, what we can do ethically um, with this kind of technology, uh, are, I think are very important. You know, it's like, it's like very important how you implement this stuff because uh, as we're building these tools, uh, you know, we have, to, we, ha we have to recognize that it's going to have an impact on a large number of people. I like to think of, I like to think of how a technologist is very much fits within the role of, of having an enormous amount of impact on people, uh, and yet we're not held to the same kind of ethical standards as people who are in different roles, like a doctor or a lawyer, who are obviously held by their own ethical standards. And I often like to think of like somebody who's working on AI or somebody who's working on a, uh, on a data collection tool or some kind of uh, large-scale analysis on a group of people for an algorithm uh, that you know we're not we're held to a different standard than than, a, than say a surgeon, and I wouldn't want to go to a surgeon who has the mentality of of break things and figure it out later. Yeah, I mean that leads me to my next question: is when we think about new technology like AI, obviously it's been around for a while, but you're seeing companies like Google and Microsoft adopt it much quicker. Right. Where does that burden of responsibility fall to develop this ethically? Is it with regulators? Is it with technologists? Is it with consumers themselves? Uh, it's a mixture, but I think that technologists have the largest role in this. And the ri reason why I say that we have the largest role in this is because um, regulators are going to change. Like, the regulation, regulatory systems are going to change. So, like, for privacy issues, for instance, we've seen that, you know, uh, a number of countries have adopted privacy regulations very similar to the GDPR in Europe. 
where uh, you have a right to privacy, where, where you essentially have an inherent right to privacy. But we're already seeing that watered down, we're already seeing loopholes, we're already seeing sort of uh, implementations where it's like, oh, well, you know, you, you basically can't use this app or you can't use this technology at all until you just click the accept button. And then the accept button, you know, means that you've accepted all cookies and all kinds of uh, tra tracking. So I think that it's implementing, te that technologists have a, have a responsibility to say that this technology is not good, that it's going to cause potential harm. Uh, I think that we have responsibility to withhold our knowledge and our technical capabilities. Um, and I think that we have, uh, that, tech, that, that people who are, work in AI, people who work in security, people who work in, uh, for, for algorithms and for these companies, we have a lot of, we have, we have an enormous amount of responsibility. And so we, we hold the largest amount of responsibility on our shoulders. Um, and if we don't, then regulators are going to come and they're going to, they're, they're going to, they're, they're going to overreact and they're going to have a, uh, they're, they're going to regulate in, and perhaps in, in, in ways that are not constructive or helpful to the public. Obviously the challenge, if that responsibility falls to technologists, is that often their motive is profit and pure profit. I, I disagree. I think that uh, companies, that founders and companies have a tendency to have a, a, a profit motive whenever their company is structured in that way. But I don't necessarily think that um, the technology, I, I think that people gravitate towards technology because of the, the, the enormous amount of potential. Now, uh, people have ended up uh, either in the, you know, pe people who want to do public benefit usually end up in academia or they end up in the public sector working for NGOs or for, for governments and re, you know, for uh, under research grants like, like CERN in, in Switzerland. Um, but I don't think, uh, so, I, so I don't think it's technologists necessarily. I think that technologists end up working in business, but uh, there are a number of methods now. I mean, like I, I look at public benefit companies, for instance, uh, not the B Corp, but the, the regulatory fr framework where uh, you essentially protect, you, you essentially shield a company or you shield uh, this institution from, from, uh, from being sued by shareholders because I think that shareholders and uh, the venture capitalists themselves are, are the ones who shift these uh, very heavily towards a, towards a purely profit motive. I think that technologists have the ability to think more broadly, but it's just that it's very hard to work in, a, in an environment where on the one hand you might, you might make three times as much working for a for-profit corporation. So given that system that we do live in now where technology is dominated by big corporations, I'm curious if you think that advancing privacy and technology as we currently experience it can be compatible or how we can move toward that other future that you envision? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know how we move to that future. I think that, uh, <laughs> I think, I, you know, like it's, it, we, we kind of just, often, often, you know, with a lot of the stuff, we're kind of just winging it because we, we don't have, a, we, we don't have the length of a, of a storied history of, of, of having a, a professional field for very long, you know, we're, we're you know, like, and, and the, you know, I, 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 I posted on Blue Sky recently about how the, uh, about how, you know, the, it, it seems like uh, the job requirements for, for some positions, you know, they, they expect you to work in a position for four to ten or four to five years, but the technology or the tool that you're working on might only be a few months old. So, you know, it's just, it just, it, we're, we're in such a, a new environment, a new time that I think that we're, that, that I think that we're moving, while we're moving fast and breaking things, we have to think about the consequences of what that means for people. And I don't know, I, I don't know how, I, I don't know how institutions are supposed to address that. 
with the sort of structuring that they have. And then the other element, of course, is the consumer end and convincing the public that privacy actually is important and is worth something to be enshrined. And I'm, I, I'm curious how you approach that. I, I think they do understand. It's just that what choice, what choice do we have? What, to, what choice do we have as consumers whenever, in order for us to communicate with our friends, our family, we have to hit that accept button. In order for us to be able to shop, to be able to contribute in society, we have to be able to, we have to provide something. And uh, I, I, and I, and I, and it's, you know, like I, I, I'm a security researcher and I'm a, you know, I'm a security expert and I, and I, and I struggle in this area because like I need to contribute and I need to be a part of, you know, I, I need to be able to part, a part of this digital society, of course. And so I, I'm a poster and I, you know, I, I obviously have social media accounts and I obviously purchase things uh, off of apps. Um, but yeah, I think that the consumer does understand, and I and I usually use like, I usually use real life, uh, you know, physical uh, analogies. You know, people, you know, people often ask me like, oh well, you know, if you if 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 you don't worry, if you're not if you're not worried about your data being collected or whatever, like like then just uh, you know j then then you have nothing, you know, you shouldn't be worried because you have nothing to hide. But the reality is is that people do, you know, people close their blinds. You lock your door, you close your door. Like people want privacy. We inherently want privacy. And the fact that we're not getting this, pri that we're not having our privacy, uh, you know, be being protected in the digital space, is what, especially as we've gravitated, uh, you know, in, in many countries, we've sort of gravitated more and more into the online space uh, after the 2020 pandemic because we had, you know, because of now we're in conference rooms. Uh, we're in we're sort of chat rooms. We're in we're uh, more on social media. Uh, we are sort of forced into this Zoom culture, this this like remote work environment, um, uh, or this remote learning environment uh, in some places where we're not necessarily have it, where we don't necessarily have have a choice. You know, again, it comes to like you know do we do we participate in this digital society or not? And it, you know it's we're, it's it's harder and harder to to say no. But it, the fact that we the fact that we feel surveilled, the fact that we feel like our privacy is being violated, and the fact that we, 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 do, we don't feel like we can close the blinds, that we can lock the door, is, is having a physical impact on us. And I really believe this, that, that it's making us feel more tired. It's making us, and I think it's actually having a, a, a long-term long public health uh, detriment to a large number of people. I feel like there's, there's a physical, uh, there's actual tangible things. I don't have data to back this up, but I, I, I'm, I, I strongly believe that uh, if, if, we do dig, if we do dig into the sort of medical uh, effects of, of long-term exposure to this amount of surveillance, I think that it has a detriment on people's mental and physical health. It also seems like an issue of accessibility where a lot of the platforms that we use are just popular for a number of reasons, whether from advertising or whether from a network effect. And I think of messaging platforms where WhatsApp is obviously ubiquitous. Signal is a much more private platform, but fewer people use it. So again, thinking practically, you know, when those options are out there, how do you really convince people or, or shift those habits to encourage those types of platforms or, or technology? Yeah, again, this, this, this lead, you know, this is on technologists. This is on people to develop tools that are user friendly. Uh, I often like to like. I've been thinking a lot about this more recently about how about how user hostile our application environments really have become with data collection, with ad collection. Um, we've been sort of forced into into this role. But I think that the second 
that a user-friendly application like Signal, where it, you, know, you don't need to know anything about encryption to, to protect yourself, right? You don't need to know anything about, uh, you, don't, you don't need to know anything about like the back end or how this thing is structured. Um, you know, well, the second that that's made available and that, you, and that, that gives you more, pri more, more privacy or more control over your, over your data, um, then, people, then people just jump on it. They, they jump on that opportunity to, to, to be able to use something that's user-friendly. So as long as, as, long as, they as, long as the tool is, is user-friendly, um, a good example of this, I think, is, is the, the sudden adoption by a number of uh, posting, uh, and people in the posting environment, uh, uh, both, both in the English language and in the, in the Portuguese space and in the Japanese space as well, uh, for Blue Sky as a tool. Like I said, it's currently in beta, but uh, it, is a, it is actually a cryptographically verifiable tool that prevent, that, 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 that uh, is, it, while it looks and feels like Twitter and how it works, uh, your data is protected in a way that has never been protected in any other social media tool. And I think that it's, it's in this kind of environment where you're going to be able to, 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 to really uh, build, you're, you're going to be able to build tools that people are going to want to use and that feel good to use. Well, maybe the audience can come ask you for an invite code to Blue Sky after. I know they're very sought after. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I've run out of invites, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I, Brazil has actually been uh, a country that has widely adopted uh, already. You know, a number of a number of people have been experimenting in, in the uh, uh, in the Portuguese uh, language space. Uh, it's it's been quite fascinating to see that it's the United States, Brazil, and Japan, and to a very small. Ex to a much smaller extent, um, South Korea that have adopted uh, Blue Sky very early on. It's at, at only 50,000 users, but I think it holds a lot of promise. I also want to talk about crypto because it's the beat that I cover. Right. Obviously, it's part of uh, the startup that you work at. And yeah, I know, and, I'm, and yeah, I'm a skeptic, obviously. You're a skeptic, and you're also an advocate of cryptography, not crypto, or putting the crypto right. back in cryptography. So one of the things that I've been trying to encourage in, uh, in the the so-called Web3 or crypto space is uh, a focus on cryptography, bring, putting the cryptography back in crypto. So I think, that, uh, I think that tokenization of assets has been a focus area for about eight years in the, in the quote, crypto space. Because like, whenever I think of crypto, I actually inc incorporate uh, cryptography in there. Um, which is privacy tools like Signal and whatnot. But I think that whenever, I think it's unfortunate that crypto has sort of become about, uh, about uh, to tokenized assets, uh, things like Bitcoin, things, things like Ethereum, uh, non-fungible tokens, uh, utility tokens, stable coins, et cetera. Um, I, I, I think that there's a much wider app, uh, number of use cases for the underlying tools uh, the, the components of a blockchain, the components of cryptographic primitives, the components of, uh, of uh, elliptical curve, uh, Diffie-Hellman computation, uh, and, and uh, public key infrastructure. I, I think that uh, Merkle trees, Blue Sky is a tool that uses a Merkle tree. It is a crypto, it, it, it is cryptographic ver verification, but it isn't considered a, a crypto, right? It isn't considered like, because there's no asset, there's no tokenization of anything. Um, so I think that there's a lot of promise in sort of using the parts of Web3 uh, and crypto uh, technologies, but, but to, to broaden the, the number of use cases. Because I've always viewed Bitcoin in particular as a proof of concept towards something that will be bigger and more important later on down the line. And I feel like we're at, now that we're in the crypto winter, we can sort of start to 
you know, companies and VCs can start to reassess and reevaluate um, uh, and, and not just think like, oh, let, what's the next thing? Ne what's the next big, big thing? Oh, it's LLMs, right? You know, it's, it's, it's chat GPT, right? And it's interesting too that Bitcoin and crypto first emerged as a privacy tool, but have become the opposite, where in a lot of ways, right. they're more traceable than cash. Well, I, I think that it's, I, I think that verification of information is a very important tool and aspect of that. So I think it's that while, while it is a, uh, while, while from, from a privacy perspective, uh, you know, a, a, a blockchain or a ledger, uh, you know, is, is a detriment to your is a potential detriment to your to your privacy if you're on if you're on this unless you're doing something complicated like zero knowledge proofs. Um, but I think that uh, I think that tools can be built to where you can verify that trans that that certain things the the, the nomenclature transaction happens, but that uh, a photograph was taken or a video was taken or a a meeting occurred or a statement occurred, and you can go back and verify that later and, and, and have that be in a de decentralized form. So I think that for, uh, especially, be especially because we live in such an information-rich environment where we are bombarded with an enormous amount of information every single day now because we're so interconnected. Um, we're no longer in this environment. Like, I, I come from a I come from, you know, I'm, I'm known for being, participating in a time where it was a secrecy versus transparency debate, but I feel like now we live in an environment, uh, in, an, in an information environment where we're so awash in information that it's actually, uh, it's actually, is this information that I'm being fed, uh, is it real or is it misinformation, is it disinformation? How do we verify these things? And I think that these cryptographic tools are going to be vital in terms of uh, being able to help us uh, know whether or not you know what we're dealing with is is, verifi is verified information, whether or not it's uh, mis you know, and, and to prevent sort of misinformation and disinformation in a time whenever you know AI algorithms and generative AI is, are going to be able to do things that are very convincing that even uh, all but the most uh, uh, the the most skeptical people are going to, to to believe upon first sight. You know, but the one thing that a that the one thing that that artificial intelligence tools can't bypass is cryptographic verification. Do you think it's too late to change the values of technology and the internet and make it more about privacy and technology and less about this profit motive system that we currently live in? How, how, do, we, how do we shift that? I mean, that, that's like saying, oh, is it too late for us to, to not adopt democracy? You know, is it too late? Like, I, th I, feel, like, I feel like society is much more I feel I feel like the society online is just society, really in general. And I feel like there is that cultural shifts happen, that seismic, uh, that sort of um, paradigm shifts occur within communities all the time and within societies all the time. So I, I don't think that I do think that that this kind of shift can happen. Um, although it may require uh, it may require a, a, a series of unforeseen events to occur that that push us in this direction. You know, uh, I, th I think that, uh, I, th I think that, I think that it is not, it, it is not for now. I think that we're not locked in. What are those events? Oh, well, that, that's the unforeseen, unforeseen thing. <laughs> like, that's the unforeseen part. Uh, you know, because, you know, the, I mean, we, we saw the, 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 the rapid shift, uh, essentially a five, a five year, at least a five or six year leap in uh, the adoption of, of, uh, of online, of, of Online spaces uh, in you know in with the with the 2020 uh, and 2021 pandemic, 
um, with, with COVID-19 because, uh, and that was very unexpected, it was a sort of uh, black sheep event, right? Or, uh, or a black swan event, sorry, uh, not black, black sheep. Uh, but, uh, you know, so an event like that, which is unforeseen, happens from time to time. I mean, I, just, the, just the, think about the statistic, for, for instance. 9% um, of, pe of people in, broad, in broadband and wide broadband access countries had access, uh, were, were, who had access to, 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 to online tools, um, spent about three hours online, or they were quote unquote extremely online. They spent like scrolling on their screens on their mobile devices or at a, or, or at a computer, basically like do, participating in, in the online space for, more, for three hours. That jumped up by the end of 2021 to almost 30%. Mm. So that was three times as many people in only a year time. So I think that, I think that paradigm shifts happen because of, of shifts throughout the broader society. Now, it will be, uh, will be something like the, the, uh, like, like the Russian invasion of Ukraine that, that causes a shift like this. Will it be uh, a large data breach? Will it be, uh, will it be, a, will it be a, a, a widespread international banking failure? I don't know, but, some, but something along, those ma uh, along that magnitude can certainly shift us in that direction. All right, 30 seconds. Let's end on an optimistic note. What are you excited about right now in technology? What am I excited about with technology? Um, I think that we're in a very interesting time period because I, I think that as, as the effects of the climate uh, really start to impact people, and I think that, uh, and, and as sort of the, 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 the last 20 or 30, year, uh, 20 or 30 years of, of technology sort of, uh, uh, this sort of libertarian approach to, to technology that's been led by Silicon Valley, as we start to push back against that and we start to, I think that as, 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 as society more broadly starts to develop a resistance or a, a hesitancy towards, uh, towards just you know, this, this move fast and break things approach uh, as it affects uh, society and, and as the, the, the climate uh, and as climate change sort of pushes more and more of, of, of these changes and effects uh, 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 throughout society, I think that we are going to figure it out and we're going to be able to, to build a, a, a more uh, d democratic uh, internet and culture. And I, and I think that uh, we, can, we can end up with a society where we no longer feel like the internet or the online space is hostile to us or exhausting. Well, we could talk about this all day, but unfortunately, we're out of time. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us here today, and thank, thank you. you for listening. Thank you, Rio.